the word of God, which is now shared for us. So let's just listen and soak up the word, first from the Bible reading, and then, and then James will share with us. The reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, if you'd like to find it in the Bibles. So it's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Good evening. Can everyone hear me? I'm just going to move this over here. Um, I've got to say, Richard... Um, I don't know if you realise how poignant what you just did was for me in terms of the healing power of a welcome. I came into church tonight heartbroken and angry at God. I came down from the pulpit this morning. Um, I left church. I came home and I went onto the oracle of the universe. I went onto Facebook and I saw that a young girl... Um, had posted in the, in the Facebook prayer group from our Bible college that we um, graduate from on Friday. Now, there's a beautiful couple in the year above us, um, Ben Tanton and his wife, Emily, and they got married two years ago. Emily is a beautiful girl, one of the brightest students that they had. She graduated with a first-class honours degree. She was a child of two YWAM missionaries. This girl had lived in 90 countries by the time she was 18 years old. She has been a Christian her entire life. She has served God faithfully her entire life. Her and her husband graduated Moorlands and were taken straight into the ministry. They were up in a church in Birmingham and they've been developing a youth work up there and they've been seeing some real fruit and some real success in their ministry. They're a wonderful testimony to the spirit of God at work in a couple. So Ben goes into the bathroom this morning at 8.30 and finds Emily dead on the bathroom floor. Now no one exactly knows what happens, but there is um, some indication that Emily had had a heart defect that had been going on for some time. And this morning, the Lord took her. I've got to be honest, this subject, the subject of healing, divine healing, it baffles me. When I first became a Christian, 
um, I experienced a very powerful and visceral touch of God's healing. I'd been a drug addict for 10 years. I was a heroin addict. And I entered into a rehabilitation program called Teen Challenge. Some of you may have heard of it. And um, I didn't know anything about the Teen Challenge ethos or their method of treatment. You know, I just turned up there high as a kite, stoned out of my mind on Wednesday the 8th, December 2004. And I turned up there. And I've got to say, the centre was immaculate. They showed me to my room. This place literally shined. It was like they had an army of cleaners who were just keeping this place spotless. Little did I know. And so they showed me to my room. And and I went down and I lay down on my bed. And like I said, I was really stoned. So I just lay down and I fell asleep. And I woke up in the morning to the sound of a hoover banging against my door. Now, by this point, the drugs in my system had started to wear out and I was going into withdrawal. So I was starting to feel very anxious and depressed and upset. And so I start frantically looking around my room and I find a brown envelope with my name written on it. So I suppose it must be for me. So I rip it open and I'm looking through all of these multicolored different pieces of paper and they're all confusing me. They're not really making much sense until I find one piece of paper that actually looks like it seems to make some sense. It's a timetable. It's the timetable for the entire week. So I start reading through this timetable. It starts like this. 7 a.m., 7 a.m., wake up. (laughs) 7.45, quiet time. And I thought, ooh, I've lived quite a manic life, quite a riotous life for the last 10 years. I think a bit of quiet time is just what the doctor ordered. Sounds lovely. 8 a.m., breakfast. 8.30, cleaning duties. Now I understand. 9.30. Chapel. Hmm. Chapel. 10 o'clock. Biblically based rehabilitation study program. Biblical. Now, I know I'm a stoner. I'm no scholar at this point in my life. But biblical sounds a bit like Bible. And I looked throughout the entire week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, chapel, Bible, chapel, Bible, chapel, Bible, chapel, Bible. And then it comes to Sunday. Wake up, 9 a.m., breakfast, 9.30. And then the words which are forever seared into my soul. 11 a.m., leave for church. And that's when the revelation hit me like a train in the face. This is a Christian rehabilitation program, isn't it? And suddenly in my drug-fueled state, I get all of these mad, crazy kind of uh, stereotypes just hitting me in the head. I was just like, oh gosh, what are these going to people do to me here? A month from now, I'll probably be wearing an orange bedsheet with a skinhead running up and down Oxford Street, banging on a trampoline. Do you remember Waco, Texas? I remember the scenes from Waco, Texas on the news replaying in my mind. I thought, gosh... The next time anyone sees me is going to be on the six o'clock news when the SAS come and storm the compound armed with M16s. These were the things that were going through my head. And over the next few days, I started to go into a serious, serious, serious drug withdrawal. And yet somewhere in all of this, somewhere in all of this madness, in all of this pain, in all of this suffering, I met the Lord in a very powerful way. And the second that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I felt the touch of the Holy Spirit. And my withdrawal finished, quite literally finished. Not one more sweat. I stopped vomiting. I was completely, 100% healed. 
I've never wanted a drug to this day. I've never touched a drug to this day. Now, I went on to work for Teen Challenge for three years. So the time that I spent on the program and the time that I spent as a staff member, I saw quite literally 500 people come in in my condition with similar issues that I was suffering from, and yet I didn't see one other person experience that divine touch from God that I got. Now, many of these guys now, many of them who never made it all the way through the Teen Challenge program or who gave their lives to God, but then who never really got healed of this disease that they were suffering from, from this sin sickness that they were suffering from, are now dead. Struck down by drug and alcohol abuse. Why is it that I should experience the touch of God and yet they should not? And I've heard numerous testimonies of miraculous healing. I'm a Pentecostal. I come from a Pentecostal background. I've met people who claim to have laid their hands on dead people and seen them get up. And yet I've also been in meetings where I've seen people crying out to God in faith to be healed of their conditions. And yet, nothing. Why is it God seems to choose to heal some and not others. Well, if I'm perfectly honest with you, the simple truth is, I don't know. That kind of thing is a little above my pay grade. Now, in the passage taken from 2 Corinthians, the great apostle Paul writes that he was afflicted with a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan who was allowed to torment him to keep him from becoming too arrogant. And commentators have theorised for centuries about what this thorn in Paul's flesh was. One popular opinion is that Paul was actually blind. And there are other allusions made in his writings. In Galatians, he talks about how that if they could only rip out his eyes, their eyes and give them to him, they would. And there's many other pieces of evidence that seem to allude to the fact that Paul was suffering from a form of blindness. Don't you think that's incredible? The great Apostle Paul, when you read through the book of Acts, the great Apostle Paul who laid hands on the sick and saw them healed, who rose dead people, saw them raised back to new life, who was beaten with rods, who was whipped, who was stoned to death, who was shipwrecked, who was left out in the open sea for a day and a night and survived it all, yet is still suffering from a condition which must have hampered his ministry immensely. And by the sounds of what he's saying in this passage, it isn't for the lack of trying to get healed. Because it says that he prays three times, that he cries out to God, he petitions God on numerous occasions, and yet God chose not to heal Paul. Rather, he reminded him of the truth that underpinned Paul's reality and that underpins our reality. That the grace of God is sufficient For every one of us who is in Christ Jesus. It was the grace of God that gave us a saviour. It was was the grace of God that gave us Jesus. Who came to us. Who came to humanity in our weakness. In our failure. In our utter inability to please God by any act of our own righteousness. 
If you're in Christ, we sit here, we stand here tonight as members of God's family, redeemed in the certain hope that we shall be resurrected to new life, perfected far from sickness, sadness, pain and death. Listen to what the writer of Revelations writes in chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the inheritance that we who have received the saving life of Jesus Christ are certain to come into. This is the reality that God's grace underpins. I think what Paul is saying is that he has finally had the revelation that through all of his trials and testing and pain and suffering, that finally he has realized that whatever happens, the grace of God is enough for him. The gift that God has given us in Jesus is sufficient for him. That he is content with the truth of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that vision of the future, which we have a certain hope of experiencing, is the blueprint to which God is operating in everything that he allows to happen. It means that everything we are allowed to experience in this life is part of God's plan of redemption for this world. What does it say in Romans 8.28? I use all things together for good for the benefit of those who love him and accord according to his purpose. It means that the things we suffer in this life will ultimately be used to usher in that new earth. To bring glory to God who by his grace has freely given us the certain hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now the truth is that some of us are suffering here tonight. And I understand that there are people here who are in terrible pain. Be it emotional, be it physical. The pain of sickness, the pain of loss, the pain of abandonment of past hurts that continue to torture us, leaving us incapable of forgiving the ones who have wronged us. And tonight we are going to pray for healing. And the truth is, is that God may choose to heal some of us. The truth is equally, he may choose not to heal others. It all comes down to your understanding of what healing is. We may not receive the kind of healing that we want to see. We may not think that God is healing us in the way that that, that we think he should. But I promise you this. God is a redeeming God, a loving God. And if you have received Jesus Christ, then in some sense we can look forward to that future that we're going to inherit already having been healed. God shall redeem our suffering. 
God will use our pain. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't let any opportunity pass him by. Ultimately, he'll use our suffering to bring glory and honour to his name. And it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it happens to be the truth. In fact, there's nothing like suffering to glorify God. However, I've got to be clear here, it's not just that you suffer. There are people suffering all over the world tonight. Not all of them are bringing glory to God. But how you suffer. Do you face the grace of God with thanksgiving or with bitterness? Because the difference could quite literally mean the revelation of the truth of who God is, of who Jesus is to someone who is desperately in need of that revelation. Just imagine this, allow your mind to wander. You're a small boy. You're playing in the fields next to your village where you have grown and enjoyed the freedom of your childhood. You're enjoying your friends. You're enjoying the freedom that you have to run in the fields and enjoy life. You know nothing of the political machinations of the day. You know nothing of the things that are facing your community. When suddenly... You hear cries and screams from your village. So you rush back to see what all the commotion is about. And you find the village is in uproar. Your mother grabs you and ushers you into the house where your brothers and sisters are already being forced to hide and to keep quiet. You can hear the sounds of the men of the village shouting and screaming as they start to drag farming equipment out into the street to try and make makeshift defences. When they're in the distance, drums. And as the the drums start getting louder and louder and louder, the ground quite literally begins to shake as the most powerful military force the world has ever known moves closer and closer and closer to your village. Until the next thing you know, you're being dragged from your home by Roman soldiers and you witness the elders of your village slaughtered in the most horrible ways. And then the commander of the Roman legions turns to you and the rest of your village and gives you a choice. Proclaim Caesar as Lord, as the son of God, or you too will suffer a fate such as the elders of your village. And so you bend the knee and you bow down and you worship Caesar as the son of God. And then one day you reach the age of 15 and the soldiers return and they take you away from your village and your family. And they force you to go and fight for your emperor, for your God, Caesar. Caesar, the Lord and Saviour, the Son of God, who came down from heaven to usher in a new age of peace and prosperity. And you travel the length and breadth of the empire from India to England. And you see more death, destruction and darkness than that little boy playing in the fields could ever have imagined. You fight and you kill in the name of your God to expand the empire so that Rome may be the one to bring light to the darkness. To be a light to the world. When one day you receive orders to report to some God-forsaken corner of the empire, to Jerusalem, a troublesome place dedicated to the memory of some dead foreign god where you are stationed at a place called Golgotha. The place of the skull. 
where you're ordered to preside over the executions of those who have lifted a hand of rebellion against the emperor. And you see hundreds of liars, murderers, thieves and rebels crucified, dying in agonizing pain, calling down curses upon you and your God. When one day you witness a very strange sight. You witness a maddened crowd driving a broken, beaten, disfigured man out of the city. This man has been beaten and scourged so badly that you can't even see what he looks like. He's so battered, he can't even carry his own cross. And this man is dragged before you. And then you order his crucifixion. And he is lifted up to die in pain. And then, when at the time that every other man and woman who you have seen brought before you begins to call down curses upon you and spit upon you, this man, this broken, beaten, innocent man, prays for you. And for everyone who had caused this terrible thing to have been done to him. And in that moment, in that moment, the truth is revealed to you. That surely this man, this man was the son of God. The way Jesus faced his suffering putting his faith and his trust in the grace of God, inspired this man, this hardened soldier, to see the truth. God graced us with a suffering saviour. And through the way in which he embraced God's grace, we who are in Christ tonight have all been brought to newness of life. I pray that each one of us tonight would see that God's grace is sufficient for us. And I pray that whatever cards we are dealt, we too will embrace the truth of God's grace with dignity, safe in the sure hope of everlasting life that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, Father God. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who hears our prayer, Father God that you are a loving God, that you are a God who has a plan of redemption for this world, Father, and you are working to that plan as only you can, Father God. And Father, I pray now, Father, as we come to pray for healing, Father God, to dedicate this time to healing, Father, that by your grace, Father, that you would continue to work out that plan, Father, and you would give us each a revelation that in Christ Jesus we have been made whole, that we have been healed, Father, that we do have the sure hope of the resurrection to look forward to, Father, where we be far beyond pain, far beyond death, far beyond sickness, far beyond any situation that we currently face, Father God. And Father, I pray, Father, that your spirit would move amongst this place tonight, Father. And we do pray for a powerful display of your healing power tonight, Father. Be it healing our bodies, healing our minds, healing our hearts, Father God. We look to you, Father God, to be the source of our provision, Father God. We look to your grace. We look to your mercy, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.